0: Welcome to Futureproof, the marketing podcast from Saïd Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data, insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the
2: future. I'm Jane Osler, Global Head of Media, Insights Division of Kantar. Our guest today is Nick Lawson, who is now Global CEO of MediaCom. So welcome, Nick, and congratulations on your new role. We last interviewed you in Cannes last summer. Obviously, the world's changed quite a lot since then, and the world of media has changed quite a lot since then. So I think it'd be really interesting to see and understand your view of the world now. So we interviewed a few clients towards the end of last year, and at the end of last year, they said that they were predicting bigger spends in things like advanced TV and podcasts and online video. But since then, obviously, everything's changed with the pandemic. So, what's your experience of what clients have been asking you in the last few months? What do they want from MediaCom now?
1: Firstly, hello everybody, and thank you for the congratulations. <laughs> I suppose I'm one of a number of CEOs who's been uh, appointed mid-COVID, so I suppose it does give me sort of an immediate perspective on you know what we face. I mean, it's a good question about the clients. I mean, CAN seems like a long time ago, Jane. Yeah, it does. It really yeah. does. Well, first of all, I think the the biggest change, and I don't think this is, a, this is certainly not unique to Mediacom, I, I think it's probably true of all agencies, is that agencies become a lot closer to clients over the last four or five months, you know, without a doubt. If you look at sort of the trends that all agencies are seeing in terms of the rate uh, approval ratings, I suppose the trend is, is upwards. Is you know my understanding, and and that's the basis of more intense conversations with clients. Agencies have really rallied around their clients and given them as much um, support as they possibly can. I think it all depends on the sector, on how you're faring from at uh, this moment in time. On, on clients, is feast or famine to us to a certain degree. I mean, if you work in the travel sector, you know, or even the luxury sector, it's pretty, pretty tough times, you know, with sales coming down by anywhere between 50 and, you know, 95%. So in those sort of sectors, it's been... Really, really tough going. And the car market, obviously, has been extremely challenged as well. But some good package, good categories have seen, you know, strong growth. And some of the asks that we're getting from clients are framed by, you know, that experience. So, interestingly, I think some of the questions that we've been asked is very much on how other other companies are responding. What's happening in the market? What are the big trends? You know, that's some of the questions we're being asked.
2: And then presumably you had a situation where there were a whole load of clients who had to pivot their media plans very quickly to use other channels because things like cinema became unavailable or clients who were even questioning whether they should be advertising. Obviously, we issued advice at Camtar about the, the dangers of going dark and the impact on, on your brand of reducing your ad spend. But what are some of the things that your teams had to had to cope with?
1: Well, I think the overall pressure of such a downturn in this, you know, on sales has led to clients looking for sort of immediate returns and validation of all marketing expenses, which is why I think there's been an increasing focus on ROI attached to media, you know, specifically leads and sales, I would say. So you've seen huge movement into digital media, you know, from our clients away from maybe more traditional media and a big focus on immediate returns, and this is sort of fueling a new conversation about how dynamic the pace of media is and the need to react faster to sort of news cultural social events in a, you know much quicker better way i suppose and i've detected as well from our clients that there's a renewed interest actually much more than there was before for how media consumption patterns are changing and there's also more of a demand for automated solutions. And also there's a blurring of the swim lanes now as well, I would say, because you've got a lot of clients asking us about messaging, you know, in the digital world, and mixing media and messaging, and DCO. So all of those subjects are coming up on a regular basis now.
2: That's interesting. I think you're right. There's a few issues that brings up. I mean, one is the changing nature of media consumption. And our COVID-19 barometer shows that there were you know, quite extreme increases for many channels, most channels, in fact, in terms of media consumption. You know, obviously, however, that wasn't matched necessarily with the increase in ad spend. So obviously that makes the trading environment quite challenging. I'm just wondering what your view of that is. I mean, is it your view that media owners and publishers are being forced now to be more flexible in the way they manage their contracts? Is that going to go
1: in the future as well? I actually think media owners reacted really well. You know, certainly in terms of the programming and news and editorial, you know, balancing the loss of programs and bringing back favourites, accommodating advertisers, challenges, showing a lot more flexibility around sort of incentives and creativity. And there's certainly been a really impressive response to swift turnaround of new creative executions when brands are looking to develop more relevant messaging. And we've been able to get some really unique innovative stuff away in a matter of days, you know, right across the globe. So I think all of that's been, you know, impressive. But I think those trading, you know, relationships will change, you know, in the future. I think that there's going to be much more demand for advertisers by payment for results. I think it's going to be a very interesting few months with the advertiser boycott on Facebook as advertisers move money away from Facebook and are looking for different investments and different alternatives I mean, I was thinking that this could be the biggest A-B test in the, that the world's ever seen to a certain degree, how other channels can work as a replacement for Facebook over this period. So I think it's going to be a really interesting time. And I also think that over that period, there is going to be a challenge to, to media owners to be as flexible as they've, they've always been, but also to produce more flexible ways of trading, i.e. payment by results that that
2: type of thing yeah I guess my next question is about flexibility on you know not only media channels but also bigger projects like sponsorships for example because obviously things like the Olympics other sports sponsorships have had to change very quickly and advertisers have had to cope with cancellations or or postponements do you think this will change the sponsorship market forever as well
1: Sponsorships are interesting, you know, as there's been kind of fierce competition in that market. If you look at Telefonica taking the football's champion league rights, you know, in Spain for nearly a billion euros. So it's still obviously a demand. And when sport comes back in a meaningful way, I think obviously sport missed the crowds. But, you know, arguably sport is going to continue Well, it is. If you look at the football leagues, they've all gone back. So that type of sponsorship is still being effective and arguably is getting higher viewing figures than it did you know, previously, apart from the fact that the crowd's there. But I think there is an opportunity within that for the industry to modernise, actually, in a way. And I do think sponsorship's got to get its mind much more, you know, around return-based metrics. You know, and both parties can benefit under that approach. So I think... Sponsorships have to become more accountable in the future, just like what's happened in the rest of the media world over the last four months.
2: On the point you made about Facebook, side Business School have worked on analysis of some of our cross-media studies to show the impacts that not advertising on Facebook would have on brands in various different categories. And indeed, they're doing also a piece of work which looks at how you can do a substitution, if you like, depending on your objective and your budget. So I think you're right, It's that flexibility is what what channels can substitute for others, but also what can, importantly, what can achieve the same objective at the same cost. And I think it's it's almost like, well, the industry will have to come up with a series of recipes to that con- constitute building up a media plan, which we've never really had to before because everything's all, always been
1: available. You know, it's an experience that the media market's gone through before with YouTube, for example, a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think that the you know, 101 in negotiation you know, that I was taught is never negotiate with, you know, never put somebody in a position where they're indispensable. You know, on the schedule over the years, if we're doing our job properly, if a media agency is doing its job properly, there will always be alternatives to any media owner. And in my view, we will be able to replace, you know, in a meaningful way, our Facebook activity. We're doing it right now. All our people have been replanning. You know, essentially, we replanned every single one of our clients' campaigns over the last three months. We're now replanning it again. So it's put a huge amount of pressure on our on our people, but they're responding to the challenge brilliantly. So I mean, suppose time will tell. I suspect that we will be OK in terms of the results that are produced over the next you know, couple of months.
2: So we've seen certain clients coming out and saying they're going to spend much more on digital marketing now. And obviously there's the digitisation of television and out of home happening um, apace. What's your view on the prospects for perhaps more traditional channels? Because they still play an important role in plans, in awareness, other brand metrics, and also driving sales. But do you think we're moving towards a total digital and performance-led culture? What, what are the prospects, do you think?
1: First of all, I suppose it depends how you define performance, because as me and you both know, Jane, performance can be defined alongside brand metrics as well as you know immediate response. And having a strong brand is proven to deliver uplifts in in response to two two or threefold uplifts in response. So having a strong brand in a kind of consideration set is, is crucial for any client. And how you build that through, whether it's through traditional TV or through more digital channels, is really a question of balance and where the audience is at any one time. I think there's no doubt, though, that if traditional channels are going to survive, like out of home, and television, to a certain degree, the move to becoming addressable in some way, shape, or form is going to be crucial for that. You know, moving forward in terms of media agencies, the most crucial aspect I think that we can lend is when you can cover both traditional and digital media in the way that, say, MediaCom does. It gives you a view of that bigger picture because you have to balance those two those two sides. So on one hand, you have to build big brand activity on one hand while delivering digital results at the same time, whereas the pure play digital specialists, I say can't can't really do that and don't have that view across the entire comms landscape. But at the same time, I think there'll be an increasing focus, and this is what I've seen over the COVID crisis, on messaging itself. And I think media agencies are going to play a much bigger role moving forward in the types of messaging we put out across all channels. It's still a huge concern to me that the media marketplace you know, if you look at it, has been audited, challenged over the last 15 years in every which way, in a 360 way, both by in-house media departments, by auditors, by different specialists. And the effectiveness of media, because of that, has grown anywhere between 20 and 30% in the equation between media and creative. Whereas messaging, to a certain degree, which is still now 50% of the effectiveness of any communication you put out is the creative messaging pretty much been left alone so if you ask me where the value is in the market real value the exponential growth in terms of the effectiveness of communications it's definitely in the messaging side
0: introducing wonder from bluehost.com website creation is hard but now with bluehost you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique wordpress website or store right away
1: at this moment in time to help our clients get the right messaging with the right media and the right media placement and that to me is the challenge
2: let's keep going on that one we did some research recently actually which said that consumers are slightly conflicted in this space so 54 percent of people want to see ads and prefer to see ads that are relevant to them you know and to their interests and their needs but almost an equal number 56% 56% are concerned that more tailored or you know possibly customized or personalized content might compromise their privacy so where do you stand on that that very fine line between you know we spoken about addressable tv and that more targeted more relevant media more relevant content how do you make sure that you use the data correctly to produce the content that isn't going to be taken the wrong way
1: I think it's a regulatory question, and I think that overall the balance, and it depends on the survey you do. Most people want to see more relevant advertising, but advertising that doesn't infringe, you know, on their personal data or doesn't abuse the data they may have been given. Like you say, I think that's a balance. Mm. But but in general, we're trying to target specific messaging to broad groups of people, not necessarily individuals. Yeah. So you know what you're talking about here is essentially copy testing against. You may may have a broad indication of whether somebody's male or female Mm. or, you know, whether they're young or old. So these are broad, broad messaging types as opposed to, hello there, Nick. We understand you might have been drinking a bit too much over COVID.
2: For example,
1: (laughs) yeah. For example, you know, and I'd like to sell you some Elka-Seltzer. So there is a distinction between the two, and I'm talking about the former, not the latter.
2: So do you think we're moving towards a future where campaigns will have many more pieces of creative or messaging attached to them? I mean, this has been in the offing for quite some years, and the kind of multivariant copy has, has succeeded in some categories.
1: I think there's going to be a huge amount more science behind messaging. You know, it's as simple as that, I think the same forensic analysis is going to be applied in the future to the messaging that we use that's been used to the media placement and all I'm saying at the moment is we have that forensic analysis on media every which way whether it be price or effectiveness but there's very little happening at this moment in time on the messaging and I want to bring that forensic approach to the messaging and I think that if you look at sort of some of the digital platform providers the way that they make Programs is very much based on an analysis of how people enjoy, you know, their programs. And I think we want to bring that to the, that, that kind of forensic analysis of the way messaging is, is put out. So you may start broad in the, in, in the sense that you're talking about, Jane. So you may start out 20 different basic types of messaging, but you narrow that down as the campaign goes on to the most effective approach. And there will be multiple variations on it, you know, each one depending on, you know, the audience. But using AI, you know, artificial intelligence, I think will be hugely beneficial to the way that we analyze messaging moving forward. And we're developing, if you look at the latest work coming out of Google and some of the adaptations that agencies are coming up with now to look at this, it's going to be a fascinating period. Over the next five years, I believe the biggest growth in the industry is going to be there, is that forensic analysis of messaging, because it represents a huge opportunity, in my view.
2: Obviously, as somebody from Kantar, we would agree with you, and we're involved in, in quite a lot of that work ourselves. And I think that's right. It's a kind of I agree with you. It's a neglected part of the marketplace in sort of understanding the impact of creative as well as media on you know brand and performance metrics. And you can learn a lot by doing more and using. Norms and that also enables you to predict more for the future, which I think is something that advertisers will start to want more as well is, is you know, what's the predicted behaviour.
1: And of course, in the digital world, you've got such a limited time. I mean, the average view on a Facebook feed is what two, two and three seconds. I mean, mm. you really do have to be precise in your messaging
2: and in the last year as well we've seen the rise of platforms like snapchat and tiktok you know where short form video actually becomes the norm so you know i I think that's right it's it's a new creative challenge isn't it really a a content challenge to try and encapsulate a message in a very short period of time and make it entertaining and arresting within the first seconds
1: and also try and build a brand in you know that environment It's it's a very specific Challenge, you know, that you're facing, and how you piece that together into a sort of an overall brand architecture that's going to lead to sort of an increase in the normal metrics that we would expect, you know, in terms of saliency for a brand.
2: Let's move on to talk about your people. How are they coping with working at home? Are, are most of your teams still working from home?
1: Everybody's working from home. So, well, I say that I should temper that because I'm talking from a UK perspective at the end of July, and of course, we're in different positions. All over the globe. So our office in China, for example, is fully open at this point in time. So to varying degrees, people are at different stages, depending on where you are, from a UK perspective and a US perspective, everybody is currently working from home, which represents huge challenges. Not in terms of productivity, because in many ways, I think, just like everybody, I suppose, we've adapted brilliantly to working at home in this, you know, environment. And I think, you know, the collective spirit within the agency, you know, has been fantastic. And how hard we've worked and the sacrifices people have had to make in terms of dragging their lives has been tremendous. And I think, obviously, depending on your age, you you could be in a very different position. So somebody like me is fairly lucky. You know, I've got two grown-up children. I've got a home office. I can work comfortably from home without too many... Disturbances, but if you've got two young children who are supposed to be at school, you're having to homeschool and you're having to balance work, that represents huge challenges. Just like if you're 26 years old in shared accommodation, you may be working out of your bedroom again, represents huge challenges. But I do detect that a lot of people now want to get back to work in some way, shape, or form. I think people are a bit scared or reticent on commuting on massive things, got back to normal, which I think is the next barrier that we've got to overcome. But we're looking to open up as the summer comes back, some of our offices, and come back gradually. But, of course, all of that's dependent on whether there's second waves. And if you look at Europe right at this moment in time, second waves of the COVID virus are hitting Europe right now. So, as I say, I think, to a certain degree, it's a you know, wait and see.
2: So, Nick, how do you think that a marketer's job has changed over the last 20 years? We've been talking about a lot of topics which are incredibly complex and reliant on all sorts of new technologies and data usage that didn't exist even 20 years ago. So what do you think the big challenges are for marketers now?
1: That's a very big question. Well, first of all, I think within their own organisation, I think the relationship between the CMO and the CFO is going to be crucial because I think marketing, you know, if you look at the financial pressure that companies have been under in the downturn that we've just experienced, seeking kind of immediate returns and validation for marketing expenses is going to be a must. So proving the investment that marketing makes is going to be crucial. So you're really going to have to get your mind around, I think, how marketing pays back in the long term and how the brand can pay back to the overall organisation. And you're really going to have to make that count because I don't think it will be written in stone that, you know, marketing gets a certain percentage of sales, you know, moving forward. So I think that would be challenge number one. I think challenge number two will be a digitisation challenge because the companies that have fared well over COVID have a strong direct-to-consumer relationship and their digital transformation that they've done is probably pretty much in place. So I think there will be a huge challenge to move more direct-to-consumer or at least have that avenue covered or moving towards it. So I think there'll be a huge push to have a defined data strategy find digital strategy within, within those organizations and as such the choices that you make as a marketeer are going to be quite tough which teams do you surround so you know a lot of clients are looking at in housing certain aspects of digital media for example and certainly data understanding their own need to create first party data for example whether they how they use third-party data you know moving forward as well. That would be the biggest challenge. And, and then what experts you gather around you to help you do that. And I think building that team around you, albeit maybe some of it will be in-house, some of it will be agency-based, some of it may be consultancy-based, but how you build that team and put that team together is going to be crucial. And how you truly partner with those companies as well. I mean, I have been very impressed with some some of our clients over the last year. You know, I won't, I won't name them, but I would say... The people that get the best out of the consultants they use or the agencies they use really focus on how they want to partner with them and really work at that partnership in terms of involving them, informing them, working with them. And that is often overlooked because if you just look at it as a straight kind of service relationship as opposed to what I would describe the partnership relationship, you genuinely are shortchanging yourselves in my view. Because agencies, and I'm not just talking about Mediacom, all agencies have got so much to offer. When I speak from a Mediacom perspective, I've I'm been so impressed by how our people have really got involved in our clients' businesses, right on the front line with them, working day in, day out to help them through you know, what the issues that they're facing, to make sure that their sales are there. So I think those will be my basic challenges. The other thing to remember, I think, is you know, a final point, is the average tenure of a CMO is something like 41 months. So I think partnership is incredibly important if you're talking about really short tenures in these jobs because I think with partnership comes consistency.
0: You've been listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit Cantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you.